Good morning, everybody. I don't know if I'd be a true New Englander if I didn't mention that it's frigid outside, but how wonderful that we can be together this morning in this place, together as God's people, exalting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's stand together and let's look to God's word. And let these truths call us to worship the King of Kings this morning. Let's read together. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise be to God. Well, let's join our voices together and let's sing of the Christ who came into our darkened world, who rescued us from the domain of darkness, that we might have life and light everlasting. To our darkened world, the light has come. To our broken hearts, the day of hope has dawned. The mountains bow and valleys lift their song, declaring the arrival of the to free. Life eternal springs from our exalted King. On the earth His love has shone. We are not alone. Cause God is with us. He has come to save us. Mercy lies darkness, Christ is here. God is with us, healer of the broken, word of heaven spoken, Christ is here. Oh, rise, oh, rise, in the presence of the King, in His presence, we are free. 
of the King in His presence.
Good morning. Ah, now you can hear me. Good morning. My name is Chris. I am one of the members of the worship team. It is good for us to be together this morning, isn't it? Sunday is the best day of the week. It is indeed the best day of the week because we gather to participate in the ordinary means of grace. One moment here. I'm not cooperating with my ear here. Those ordinary means of reading the word, singing the word, praying the word, and sitting under the preached word. This is essential to our discipleship, and we are so glad you're all here this morning. In addition to your participation this morning, we have some opportunities for you to serve in a discipling way, as well as to be discipled through the following. The first of which is also you'll find in your bulletin is prayer pals. Every child benefits from the prayers of loving adults. We want to encourage our congregation to come alongside parents to pray for our families and children throughout the year. What does it take to be a prayer pal? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the most important thing is a commitment to pray for a child and their family. You could send cards and think of other creative ways to bless our families. Would you be interested in being part of this important ministry in 2024? If so, visit the lower lobby to sign up or talk to Miss Ann for more information. Second, for our own discipleship is Sunday school. Next Sunday, our spring Sunday school begins. There will be, of course, children's classes, as well as a class for our middle school students and a class for our high school students. Then we have four adult classes. Trevor and Emma uh, Trapier will be teaching a class on the topic of friendship. Mike McGarry will be teaching a class on doctrine. Pam Hamley will be teaching a class for women about evangelism and Cody will be teaching a class on church membership. There will be clear directions posted next Sunday as to the location of each class. We hope you will participate in one of those classes. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact the church office this week. As we continue in worship this morning, in approaching the reading of scripture, I'm reminded of what the late R.C. Sproul would convey to his seminary students. 
He would always say, when reading a biblical text, to look for the drama. Our scripture passage this morning is dramatic in that it is the Old Testament prophecy of the one who would come to redeem sinners, Jesus Christ. You will find our scripture reading in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, you will find one in the pew in front of you on page 607. Page 607, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Follow along as I read. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all our worship and praise. You are the sovereign ruler over all creation and the sovereign ruler over all nations. We worship and praise you today with grateful hearts for your work of redemption in eternity past. Thank you for sending your son to a people walking in darkness so that you might redeem your people through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We are so undeserving, and yet you are so merciful. Lord, we pray for the needs of this congregation. Be with the men on the retreat this weekend as they learn more about themselves in light of who you are. We pray for those men who are yours. Bring them to deeper levels of knowledge of you, and in knowing you more deeply, that those men would be more amazed by you, who you are in your grace and mercy, and as a result, would become more and more like your son. We pray for those men who may not yet be converted. We ask that you would grant them the gift of repentance and faith in you. 
We come before you with the needs of those in our congregation suffering physically, mentally, and emotionally. Yes, we pray for healing, but we also pray that even in suffering, that you would be glorified and that saints would be steadfast in their faith in spite of great difficulty. We pray for those here today that do not know you, from those who have been attending here for years to those who may be here for the first time. We ask that you would bring conviction of sin, leading to repentance and faith in you. We pray today for our communities and towns that the gospel would go forth. We pray for a spiritual awakening, not only in our communities, but in our commonwealth, our country, and throughout the world, that Christ crucified would be preached to the ends of the earth. We pray for our missionaries around the world that you would protect them and embolden them more and more as they preach the gospel to all tribes and tongues and nations. We pray for the preacher this morning. Give Kevin clarity of thought and speech. Give him boldness to speak the truth of your word. I pray for us as the hearers that we would listen intently without distraction. Enable us to understand and apply the truths of your word to our lives. May we leave this gathering this morning with a higher view of you and your great mercy and love for us. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. And all God's people said, Amen. A child has been born for us, a son has been given. We, walking in darkness, have seen a great light. Let's remind ourselves of that story once again. Let's stand together as we sing about this Jesus. to be 
Please be seated, and as Kevin comes to preach the word, our children through fifth grade are invited to attend Children's Church. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Cohane. I'm the Director of Ministry Operations here at South Shore Baptist, and if it's your first time, welcome. And... Uh, Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Feel free to take a moment to turn there in your Bible. If you have a pew Bible, you can find that passage on page 857. So as you turn there, I'm going to share a little story with you. Usually I like to dive right in and read the passage, but you're going to get a little quick story this morning. Rewind back to August of 2012, I was beginning my sophomore year at Gordon College, and I'd gone back to school a few weeks early to be a part of the orientation crew or orientation staff that welcomes new students uh, to campus on move-in day and during that orientation week. So on move-in day, I was one of a few of the, the crew members who was greeting new students and their family as, in their cars as they pulled in. 
and uh, handing them you know, parking passes or directions, telling them where to go, where they could move in their uh, son or daughter's belongings. And uh, I had been outside on a, a hot August day from maybe nine to somewhere in two or three o'clock. I kept hearing the, the voice of my mother to put another layer of sunscreen on. And uh, I did that. But as we got into the afternoon, I went to one of the other members who was out in the, the parking lot with me, and I asked if they had any gum. So my mouth was super dry from talking to folks all day and hot outside, so I thought to myself, this gum will certainly help me to not have a dry mouth, and it did. But the gum also brought another surprise, one that I was not prepared for. With a little less than an hour left of move-in time, the transfer students started arriving. So up pulls this, this Nissan Altima with New Hampshire license plates, and there's two girls sitting in the front. I greeted them, and it turned out they were sisters, and one was transferring to Gordon, and they'd be living together. Well then, as I was talking, my gum suddenly went airborne. Then time began to move in slow motion, as it does. <laughs> Milliseconds turned into minutes. And I watched this gum fly out of my mouth with a solid momentum, honestly. Then it hits the window frame of the girl's car and then flew into the car somewhere near her feet. So that's what that moment felt like. Big, long pause. So the girl in the car obviously had to have been stunned. Me, partially mortified. But in those seconds, I talked myself into the fact that this was not a big deal. Even though Gordon's a very small school, I wouldn't have to interact with this girl during my three years in college. It'd be fine. So I quickly said, and I quote, that was so awkward. I just spit my gum at you. Sorry. <laughs> then the girl proceeded to say something along the lines of, also, paraphrase but pretty, pretty close to quote, it's okay, it happens all the time. <laughs> Thanks, bye. And then took off about as fast as anyone has ever gone in a five mile per hour zone. So the kicker comes that a few months after that, through the rest of my time at Gordon, three years, I was in close proximity to that girl, so the story never really died, as I had told myself that it would. Now, fast forward to today, and not only did the story follow me around for three years, but I've now been raising a child for three years with that same girl, who you all know as Morgan. <laughs> Applause for her, not, not for me, please. Um, so here's the thing, right? That story is ridiculous. I'm sure it will stick with you, at least for a little bit. Um, single guys, be bold with your gum spitting is obviously the moral. Uh, but I shared it for this reason. It's because that August afternoon where I launched my gum at an innocent young woman is the turning point, or a turning point, where my life changed in an incredible way that I only came to appreciate more as time went on. 
The story's not about the gum. It's not about the ridiculousness of it. But my hope is that you'll see in today's passage, you'll, you'll see it in the same way, in the same light, as a moment where things change forever. A moment that increases in significance with each passing day as you realize it was a critical juncture in God's plan for your life. So I hope you've turned to, to Matthew 4. We're going to start in verse 12. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter, verse 25. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read here from verse 12 and, and take a stop at verse 16. So would you follow along with your eyes as I read. Matthew 4, verse 12. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So now verses 15 and 16, which you may have have picked up, are, are quoted from Isaiah 9, which Chris read for us just a few minutes ago. So let's take just a little bit of time to process what Isaiah was saying in those words and, and what Matthew was using them for. It says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And then in Isaiah 9, it also says, for, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, or Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So all of us here this morning, all the guys up in New Hampshire, and all people here on earth are, are living in this land of darkness. And so that serves as a warning for us this morning. Whether you're a believer or whether you arrived here this morning and are still walking in darkness. It's a warning for all of our propensity towards sin. But the words in Isaiah also give light at the end of the tunnel. Again, these words in Isaiah say, Who will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. But what do those things mean? This means that Christ's plans and wisdom are perfect as wonderful counselor. This means that Christ is the all-powerful and unstoppable God. This means that Christ's loving care and protection for us, has no end. And this means that Christ will make all things right and peaceful. 
Honestly, these prophetic words from Isaiah 9 are so massive that we may just tend to take them at face value and not try to understand them. We just, we hear wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, and we say amen and and leave it there. But even when we try to digest them, we can usually try to just do one of the four, right? We have to exert all of our, our brain power to try to comprehend what it means to be wonderful counselor, what it means to be prince of peace. And then we end up without the bandwidth to better understand the other three. And I think that's why part, part of the reason why the quotation here in Isaiah 9 is so critical. This section that we read this morning comes on the heels of what we've heard the past two weeks with the baptism of Jesus and then the temptation um, of Jesus in the wilderness. So now we have this third consecutive validation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And Matthew's detailing all of this after the the birth of Jesus, the birth narrative in chapters 1 and 2. And it's all there to highlight the undeniable and glorious Christ, the one who was and is and is to come. All of, all of what we've read in Matthew builds to this point, builds to the end of verse 16. But then what we get is verse 17. It reads, from then on, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, you may have just heard those words and thought somewhere along the path or along the lines of, okay, that makes sense. Jesus was preaching. He was, you know, teaching. He does that stuff all the time. We read about it here, there, and everywhere in the Gospels. No. Verse 17 says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. This verse is actually the launching pad for the entire Gospel of Matthew. It comes on the heels of the fulfilled prophecy that the ministry of Jesus Christ begins. So remember, when I shared that ridiculous story a few minutes ago, I said it wasn't about the Hallmark Channel level romance of the story. It was about the moment where life changed forever. Verse 17 is that moment. From this point on, Matthew's going to detail the most influential period in the history of the world. Now, our lives today still have that period as, as most influential, but in, in our lives, as we, none of us were alive during the first century, our turning point in life is salvation. It's the moment where things all change for all eternity. We often default to things like marriage or childbirth or sudden loss as the moments or moments that define us, and they they certainly can. But they all pale in comparison to that moment of salvation through Jesus Christ. Any one of those things that I just mentioned or whatever else you may consider a critical moment only have an impact for as long as we're here living on this earth. 
Salvation changes all of life and all of eternity to come. And as we study this text this morning, we have to remember that. We have to understand it, and we have to accept it. And just as this moment marks the beginning of Christ's ministry, the rest of our passage today, I believe, informs us of what we can do as followers for our ministry until Christ's return. So look back with me, and we'll read beginning in verse 18, continuing on. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is, <clears throat> excuse me, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So Matthew has now given his account of where Christ's ministry begins, and these eight verses that we just read, I believe, give us two ways that we are to minister in light of Christ the Messiah's ministry. So the first few verses there that we just read give the account of Jesus calling four disciples, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all fishermen. And in the case of all four, what do we notice? We notice that they immediately dropped everything and followed Jesus. These four men left their livelihood and their families behind in an instant to follow the Messiah. The call of discipleship is the first way that I believe we as believers are to do ministry in Christ's example. So now it's certainly different, right? Jesus was investing in these men face to face, and he was doing so as the Christ. But the call for us today is to invest in one another so that we can each become better followers of Christ. And it's funny, right? Many times when we're reading through the Gospels or we may just be even have a conversation about 
some gospel narrative. We like to discuss the disciples and their failures, right, of some kind. It could be, it could be Peter denying Christ three times. It could be any number of things. But we talk about how they saw all Christ did, yet didn't fully grasp or embrace him. But they also didn't have the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ for these examples that we often look at. And once they did, right, once they saw those things happen, these men were pretty relentless in following the Great Commission. But we, I think, tend to fail in a pretty specific way that, by all accounts, wasn't the main struggle for the disciples. We tend to love that Christ follows us and forget that we follow Christ. I'm going to say that one again. We tend to love that Christ follows us and forget that we follow Christ. If we stop and think about it, right, it's pretty clear that Jesus Christ is the f- proverbial front line in all things and that, that we're to follow him, right? We are, we're the soldiers that are going to come behind him. And that, that word there can literally be translated as follow or come behind. So Christ is leading and paving the way for us and we as disciples are to follow or come behind him. But here's the gut check for us this morning. How often are we asking Christ to come behind us? Now there's certainly some who believe that praying passionately for a desire of their heart means that God will grant it. But how does that differ from what many new age or self-spiritual people would do today in manifesting something, right? What is, what's, the, what's the real difference there? It might be that we're the, using the name of God instead of relying on ourselves, but we're still ultimately asking for God to come behind us. We feel we're at the front line and he's our support. But what would it look like if instead we submitted to God? What if instead of praying our will to God, we prayed that God's will would become our will? Now, whether our circumstance is a a serious diagnosis, a broken relationship, a lack of spouse or children, a seemingly never-ending struggle with a particular sin, we often come to a place of asking, why God? And when we ask that question, a lot of times it has a particular focus on self. Why me, God? Why why do I have to deal with this? But what if we were to ask or pray those words, but instead do so as, God, why? What if we place the focus on God helping us to understand his purpose for the circumstance instead of us dwelling in the circumstance itself. 
And the Gospel of Luke contains one of my favorite passages in Scripture, as I think it gives a, a perfect illustration to this. In Luke 22, we get the familiar account of, of Jesus praying in the garden. Beginning in verse 39 of Luke 22, this is how it reads. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. He began to pray this, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. So here, right, is Jesus the Messiah, fully God, fully man, knowing the purpose that he's going to fulfill. And he's praying to the Father. He prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus was, was strengthened by an angel and prayed more fervently to the point of sweating drops of blood. And to be honest, I could spend 30 minutes, 30 minutes on how much this, this whole sweating blood phenomenon intrigues me and how it is a real medical condition. And I love this, this passage, uh, not just for that reason, but it's one thing I love about it. But me sharing this, it's about the posture, right, of Jesus' prayer. It's about his submission to the will of the Father and the strength that is provided to him to follow through. So that's what I believe our call to disciple today may look like. I think it's going to take the form of us committing to help one another grow in this posture, in our prayers and even in our actions. And if we're striving to do our best in discipling one another, in, in guiding and helping one another along in that process of, of growth and maturity in, in faith and in our spiritual walk each day, then I think we can bring glory to God in the second way that I think this passage calls us to minister, which I've phrased as the call to share and care. So verse 23 shifts the focus, right, if we look back at it. As Jesus begins to publicly preach and teach and heal all over Galilee. But it's verse 24 that is at the heart of our need to share the gospel and care for the lost. That's that sharing and caring. The news of what Jesus is doing is spreading like rapid fire all across the region. People are bringing all of those suffering to be healed by the Messiah. 
And where we live here on the South Shore in now 2024 is pretty far from first century Galilee, right? In a whole lot of ways that we could begin to list. But there's only one difference that is really critical, and it's not our cars or our technology or fashion sense, education, anything else that is advanced in those past 2,000 years. It's something that's declined in those 2,000 years. And I think we've declined in talking about Jesus. Sure, we can just write it off as, oh, well, they had Jesus in person, or they had nothing better to do than to check out what was going on in the region, right? They didn't they just lived off the land. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have to bring kids here, there, and everywhere. You know, they didn't have Twitter or X or social media or whatever it is, right? But what do we have that's better to do? We have to ask ourselves today, are we properly prepared and committed to share about Jesus and to care for those who are often forgotten or avoided. Do you think it was the popular opinion then in this passage to be in, in close contact with the demon-possessed or the epileptics or the paralytics or a leper or many others who would have been treated as unclean or maybe even subhuman by the culture around? We cannot heal these people like Jesus did. But do we believe that Jesus can? Do we believe that even if they are stricken with this given affliction, whatever it may be, for the rest of their life, that Jesus will heal them when he returns and calls us home to heaven? So sharing with the lost and caring for the wounded, I believe will undoubtedly yield a glorifying return in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus who sought to demonstrate this compassion to all those he encountered in Galilee during this account and all that he's going to encounter during his ministry moving forward. And now as I was, I was preparing this sermon I was wrestling with how do I, how do I make the flow of these 14, 14 verses make sense? How do I give verse 17 the, the, the proper justice that it needs as this, this gateway to the, the account of Jesus' ministry? I think it's probably common that verses 12 and 17 can just get lost as Jesus traveling and Matthew quoting some Old Testament verse about two hard-to-pronounce places. Verses 18 to 22 can get overlooked as an account of a story we've heard so many times, or we can even get caught up just thinking about the imagery in life of a fisherman. Then verses 23 through 25 can be just glossed over as typical Jesus miracle stuff that we can even become numb to. But what struck me as I considered the passage was something that I felt gave clarity and simplicity, so I'll share it and hope it does the same for you as a way to remember 
kind of the flow of things here in Matthew 4. So I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the the game show Chain Reaction. Uh, I have to confess, I kind of love game shows. But this isn't Jeopardy or Deal or No Deal or uh, Beach Shazam or, you know, something that's, that's very popular. It's definitely a little bit more obscure. But the show is based around contestants being able to solve word puzzles of connected phrases. So think about it as kind of, if you've ever seen Wheel of Fortune, it's kind of like a before and after puzzle, right? So as an example, uh, in this particular show, contestants may be given the word banana and the word alone. And then they have three words in between those two that are blank. So banana, blank, 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 alone. And the contestants then have to solve the connecting words that finish the puzzle. So the right answer could be something like this. It could be banana split, split second, second home, home alone. Right, so all these words in conjunction, one after another, will make a coinciding phrase. Now hopefully that made sense And maybe now you'll go home and you'll realize that you've been paying for the Game Show Network in your cable package for the last five years and had no idea. But I want to leave you with what I think is a a chain reaction from Matthew 4, that even if you're not a note person, you can can note these things down and it will connect what what God's Word has, has brought to us this morning. But here it is. Here's my wonderful graphic. So you have the promised Messiah, Messiah come, come witness, witness testimony, testimony living. And I took a little creative liberty, right? Testimony living might not be a phrase you hear all the time. But we have the promised Messiah here in verses 12 to 16 of Matthew 4. We have the Messiah come in verse 17. We have the the come witness part of this passage in verses 18 to 23. And we have the witness testimony part in verses 24 and 25. And now if we think back about about the points today, right? There's, we have all of this that's, that's building up, that's leading us to understand who the promised Messiah is how this Matthew's account here shows that he fulfilled this prophecy, that the Messiah had come. And then we have what we just discussed about the need to disciple and to share and care for the world around us. So I'm proposing that that these things we discussed today, these two points, are are what I'm going to call testimony living. That's your last coinciding phrase there. So as we go forth today, please remember that we need testimony living today and each day from this point on. Would you pray with me this morning?
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the greatest provision of all, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We are thankful for Jesus' death on our behalf, and we rejoice in the impact that it has on those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you grant those in this room who call you sons and daughters to embrace this idea of testimony living as a response to Jesus' example here in Matthew 4? Lord, help us to fervently disciple one another and care for the broken and needy souls around us who do not know you. Lord, would you make our times of fellowship rich and meaningful, and would you make our evangelism to the community and to the world effective and vast? It is in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that we pray. Amen. Let's sing of the gospel that we proclaim. Would you please stand as we sing? gospel on which I stand for all eternity. It is my story, my Father's plan. The Son has rescued me. Oh, what a gospel, oh, what a peace. My highest joy and my deepest need. Now and forever he my light, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel to which I cling, all else I count as lost. For there, where justice and mercy meet, he saved me. No more I boast in what I can bring, no more I carry the weight of sin, for he has brought me from death to life, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel where Savior down, he lives and I am free. Now on my Savior I fix my eyes, my life is his and his hope is mine, for he has promised I 
Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, if you didn't know, there's a connect card in the pew in front of you. If you are in need of prayer or want to lift up a praise to the Lord, please fill that out. Drop it in one of the black boxes just outside the back doors there, and we'd be happy to pray along with you this week, give praise to the Lord along with you this week. And if you're new, you can fill out any information on the other side. One of our pastors would love to connect with you this week. Uh, we won't sell your email or phone number to any spam call list. And if you need to pray as well, our prayer team is over here to my left and your right. But as we go this morning, would you read these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 with me? But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May we go this morning as people who have received God's mercy and go forth to the world as God's people. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Okay.